We begin from our series on Ephesians, chapter 1 and the first 14 verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints of Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. What a passage, hey? What a passage. Good to be in church this morning. I want to extend my uh, welcome. It's wonderful to have you with us here at Parramatta Baptist Church. Today for us uh, as a church marks the start of our next preaching series. We will, through the next nine Sundays, preach through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. It is, I think, uh, wonderfully theologically rich and quite dense. I don't know if you got that from that passage letter. And it also has some incredibly profound practical outworkings for how we are to live. So I encourage I encourage you to jump on the website and download a soft copy of our study guide that goes with it, or pick up a physical copy uh, over morning tea if you haven't already. These are great things to just be tracking through in your own personal devotional life or with your small group as well. It's lovely to listen on a Sunday, but it's often far more transformative to explore the passage and what it means for each of us in conversation and in dialogue with other believers, isn't it? Maybe. Well, pick one up and you tell me at the end of the nine weeks. If you have your Bibles, I would really appreciate if you had them open. I don't mind if that's on a device. I'll assume you are on Bible Gateway or a Bible app instead of Facebook and Instagram. I just remind you that I can see what's happening from up here. But we are in Ephesians. It is chapter 1 and he starts this way. It starts this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Straight away, he's indicating who the author is, who is writing other letter. It is Paul. And yet there's a fairly formal nature to this, that he is an apostle. Apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Just reading from uh, Stott's commentary on this. 
Here Paul claims the same title which Jesus had given to the 12 and the background of that, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, has its background in both Old Testament and rabbinic Judaism. And what it did was it designated that somebody was specially chosen, called, sent to teach with authority. So for this ministry, Paul had not volunteered, nor had the church appointed him to this role. On the contrary, his apostleship derived from the will of God and from the choice and the commission of Jesus Christ. And the intent in writing this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, is that we, the reader, might see and interpret the coming words in light of this. I love what Stott says. He says, For we must regard its author, Paul, neither as a private individual who is ventilating his personal opinions, nor as a gifted but fallible human teacher, nor even as the church's greatest missionary hero, but as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and therefore as a teacher whose authority is precisely the authority of Jesus Christ himself, in whose name and by whose inspiration he writes. You know, there's a a reverence and a seriousness, if you like, a, a weightiness as we come to sit under the authority of Scripture as it is spoken over us. That this is, in a very real way, the living words of God spoken to a direct context in its day, but also through all ages spoken to all who have ears to hear. So over these nine weeks, and I would encourage you whenever you read the Scriptures, that you would read it in light of this, that these words are here for us by the will of God, for us to attend to. And Paul writes to an original context. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. He's writing to those like us who gather together, united by our common faith in the Lord Jesus. And he sends them a greeting, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Ephesus is a really significant city centre back in the ancient Near Eastern world two millennia ago. Whole host of commercial activity, religious activity is a very significant temple in the city. And Paul himself, we know from the book of Acts, has a profoundly personal relationship with this church, having spent many years investing in ministry there and growing to love the people and the church that emerged from the people at Ephesus who gave their life to Christ. And if you want to get a sense of his heart for the people, you should read his farewell to the Ephesian elders in Acts. It is just, it's like he's stripped bear and you see exactly what his heart is. There's, there's tears, there's, there's appropriate kissing and there's, there's all these exhortations as he, as he gives this farewell to these Ephesian elders there. So there's a great deal of work that has gone before uh, he writes the letter to the church and there certainly is a, a great fond affection for the church that he has. Interestingly, that doesn't necessarily come out as much in this letter. Obviously, years have passed and he's unaware or unfamiliar with the people who would have subsequently given their lives to Christ and joined the church at Ephesus. But it leads most scholars to think and agree that Paul's letter was designed not just for the church at Ephesus, but to be a circular letter that would have circled throughout various other towns and cities in the region to be read by God's people. And really encouragingly, he doesn't seem to be writing in response 
response to something negative. So he hasn't received reports of bad behaviour in the church at Ephesus, like maybe the church in, in Corinth. And he's not writing a sort of polemic against false teaching that we read in some of his other letters. This seems to be an incredibly just positive affirmation of the good news of Jesus and what it means for his church, both there at Ephesus and here today. So that's a little bit of the context of the book. And I just wanted to say that that's the context of the letter in its original setting. And yet this letter, as we read it, as we discuss what it means for us, has its own context, doesn't it, in the life of of our church. Um, We see what God has been doing here in this family of believers. This encouragement and this excitement, this vision to see an increase in lives being transformed. And we're already seeing God answer our prayers as he does so. So for us to grab hold of this and to build up positively, if you like, take hold of what it means that the good news of Jesus Christ really is good news that affects every area of our life, I think is really important. And I also just wanted to acknowledge that each of us, as we individually read it, uh, read it in the setting of the own context of our life, where we're up to in our relationship with God, what attitudes or things are going on for us, maybe our own struggles, our our own doubts. And so I certainly would invite you to read this and and to listen to the messages over the next nine weeks, to work through the study guide over the next nine weeks with that very much in mind, not just as an abstract, or what is Paul telling or what did he tell the church 2,000 years ago, but to actually hear the words of the Lord Jesus speaking directly to you and into your context. Does that make sense? So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll jump into the longest sentence written in the Bible. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much that you are present, that you delight to reveal yourself to humanity, that we might know you, that we might experience what it is to be known by you and loved by you, forgiven, restored by you and get to walk every bit of our lives with you as our constant companion, our Lord and our Saviour. God, I want to thank you for speaking so clearly through the Apostle Paul. God, I thank you for the power and the impact that this letter has had. No doubt in the church at Ephesus, as they received it and read it for the first time, no doubt those other churches, as they received it and read it for the first time, but through the centuries and the millennia all across our world. And I would ask God that in your kindness, by your great grace and your great power, that you would use it here, in 2019, in the life of this local expression of your universal church, may each of us as your sons and your daughters lean in to listen and glean, to be impacted by, convicted by, encouraged by the words that you will speak directly to each and every one of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was really lovely hearing Ben talk about youth camp coming up this term. Youth camp is always one of those really exciting highlight moments in the life of a youth ministry, in the life of a church. Hopefully you guys have experienced that and you remember that back in the day. Speaking of back in the day, when when I was a youth pastor, we used to do this one thing every time that we went on camp and we started our sessions together. And it was to kind of get the blood pumping and make sure that everybody could listen for what was about to come. And so we, we used to do these things that we affectionately called gospel gymnastics. We would find some crazy pump up, the kind of music that you would work out to in the gym and and we'd have our own kind of set of things that we would go through, all kind of Bible related, very lame, but our our youth group loved it. I think our youth group leaders loved it even more. But you know, we'd be handing out the loaves and the fishes and parting the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff. And there was one particular move that we'd always lobby and kind of right towards the end and it was 
just a praise party. Yeah, that, that was the move. And the praise party was you just got to do whatever you wanted and spin around and dance and laugh. And people would literally laugh and the room would explode, if you like, in this scene of energy and jubilation. And the idea was that we would just together revel in how good it is to belong to Christ and to know Him and to be His people. Well, I think it would be perfectly appropriate for this room to burst out into a praise party at the end of this message. We, we may or may not give it a go. We'll see where the Lord leads over the coming 20 minutes. But I could totally imagine as God's church is gathered and they're engaged in this kind of act of just joyful celebration that Paul could get up in that context and then read what comes from verse 3. Or that he would read what comes from verse 3 and then the room would spontaneously erupt in a praise party. That is the sort of atmosphere, feel, vibe, if you like, of chapter 1. I know it kind of reads dense and and the language is, is dense as we read it in church, but it really is this expression of praise. And so he starts in verse 3, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. My friends, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is all what chapter 1 is about. I think when we read this, we also should want to jump up in celebration and joyful declaration as we even hear that phrase, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, it should make our hearts soar. It should bring forth joy that that, that bubbles over, that spills out, that can't be contained, as the Holy Spirit confirms it to be true in our own lives, but also as our ongoing experience continues to testify to it, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Does that make sense? And so partly I want to ask you how you feel and how you respond to verse 3, that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. See, for some people, your faces tell me that you know exactly what Paul is getting at. And some other faces are like, we'll we'll work on it, right? I actually think this is a really good self-awareness exercise, a sort of litmus test, if you will about how we've properly understood and actually taken hold of and continue to walk in light of the good news and the truth of that statement, that we are blessed spiritually with everything in Christ. I think one of the things that really helps us take hold of that is the discipline. And and I think it does take discipline to disentangle the world's use of the word blessed and the way that the Apostle Paul is using it here. So I don't know if you've noticed, but even amongst our secular friends and and family in in our world today, blessed has become this this cinnamon for stuff I like. It describes things that are temporal, often things that are material or physical. They're the kind of things that we can covet, the sort of things that we can make idols out of, maybe even feel a diminished sense of self-worth or satisfaction in life if we don't have what someone else would use the word blessed to describe having. So we go over to a friend's house and we have a look around and we observe, hey, this is a really nice house. And the response is, yeah, aren't we blessed? We see people that have all the fun toys in life or get to go on these great holidays and they go, yeah, aren't we blessed? We use the phrase all the time. You'll see it on on shows. We're blessed with good health. 
when the kids are doing particularly well at school, you go, oh, yes, aren't we blessed? And Instagram models, I don't follow any of those, just for the record, posing in their super hyper-real photos will use the hashtag, hashtag blessed. We even use it in relation to others, don't we? As we see maybe somebody who's better looking than me, can't imagine who that would be, but you know, let's just say, for example, that they're, you know, all the time, you know, you go, oh, God has blessed him more than me in that department. Have you ever used that sort of phrase? Or, or someone who's, who's a greater intellect and you go, oh, God has blessed him uh, more than me. And implicitly, we need to be careful because we start to teach ourselves that the more I have what I want in this life, then the greater or more I am blessed. And I start to measure my blessedness in comparison with others. And there has been a whole bunch of research done on the dangers of constantly comparing ourselves to others, and particularly the filtered social media highlight reel that we see in, of others' lives. And having this misunderstanding of what constitutes blessed can lead to insecurity and anxiety, a covetousness within us, even an inability to fully enjoy and be fulfilled by the blessings that already exist in our lives. And if we're honest, at times can leave us feeling impoverished when it comes to being blessed. To that, Paul would want to write to the church, you need to understand just how fully and completely you are blessed as sons and daughters of the Most High God. That you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has not withheld anything from you. This is not a partial blessing. This is not an incomplete blessing. This is not a special blessing that's only reserved for the super spiro among you. But this is y'all. Praise be to God who has blessed us, the church, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, the Bible does declare that every good gift comes from above and should be received with thanksgiving and gratitude, turned back to God in praise and stewarded well. And so there certainly are blessings that are material and that constitute in this life. Uh, But Paul is driving at the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And to make it clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's talking about that, not only does Paul specifically designate it as spiritual blessings, But he also notes that this blessing is coming in the context of the heavenly realms. This blessing is from or this blessing is in the heavenly realms. Now, this is a phrase or a word that Paul will only use in Ephesians. It's not in any of his other letters. And unlike that Old Testament imagery of the heavens that speaks of the sky and the stars and the moon, the firmament above, or heaven, in heaven, that the gospel writers and Paul elsewhere will use of that place, that time in salvation history where we will be with God forever in eternity. This is this idea of the spiritual realm. He uses it about five times in this book and in Ephesians chapter 6, that's easy to understand it. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers that exist in the heavenly realms. So what Paul is driving at is that that when it comes to that place and that sphere of the supernatural, supernatural and the spiritual interact with us and our lives, in that place, from that place, God has in Christ blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And what he will go on to do is just list a bunch of those blessings, a bunch of the ways that we have been blessed in Christ. And if you're a student of really key words and key phrases, in Christ is the phrase you're going to need for Ephesians. About 36 times through the six chapters, Paul will refer to us being in Christ. 
what it means to experience the blessings of being in Christ and what it means for us to behave and to live in a way that is consistent with us being in Christ. So just read them. I mean, you read through them. Hopefully you've got your Bible still open with me. As we go through them, there's an enormous amount of blessings that come from us being in Christ. And we read in verse four that, that we are chosen in him before the creation of the world. There is this sense that one of the blessings that we sit in is being profoundly loved and profoundly valued, that God has set his affection and his plan and his good purpose on us. We read in verse five that we've been adopted into our sonship and daughtership through Christ Jesus. And this is something that God doesn't do reluctantly or he kind of gets compelled into, but this is according with his good pleasure and his goodwill. And that as we get adopted in there, we get to experience the inheritance that is now ours as belonging to the family of God. You understand that's what happened back in the day when someone was adopted into a family, they immediately, immediately, the moment they were adopted, obtained full rights and full inheritance as a naturally born child. And so the moment that we come to faith in Christ and are adopted into God's family, our our inheritance, if you like, our rights of having God as our Father are accessed fully here and now. Truly, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He goes on in verse 7 that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, which we celebrated and we remembered. And hopefully you are moved by afresh just over these past couple of weeks as we celebrated Easter that there is now nothing that stands between us and God. There is no guilt that remains, no shame that can cling to us, that we stand before God holy and blameless in His sight because of what Jesus has done. And on and on it goes. I particularly like the fact that, that we stand in this place of having God's mysterious plan revealed to us. That's verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of this will according again to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the time reached their fulfillment. So so even in the here and now, we have this sense of where all human history is going and we can have faith and confidence and live in hope in light of that, knowing that inheritance is secure as we've been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And through all this, there is this sense that we are, ourselves a part of God's good plan and good pleasure, his good purpose. That actually in wisdom and understanding, he's made known to us the mystery of his will, which is that we would be brought to unity with him in Christ. Is that good news to you? I know I just like threw out a lot of theological jargon. I blame Paul. He wrote it. It's not me. I don't know if you've ever been having a conversation with someone and you tap in on an area of real passion and they say, don't get me started. And then they just go anyway. Like, and there's, this, there's sort of this exuberant overflow of words and you just can't stop them and you get the heart and the feel and it just comes. It could be something about family. It could be, I've certainly been in conversations where people are talking about their, their grandchildren. I've certainly been guilty of this when it comes to talking about cars and all manner of things or, or some people with music, whatever it is. There's this exuberant cascade of words to talk about the things that they love. 
Well, I mentioned that this was a long sentence. So, so from verse 3 to 14 uh, is one sentence in the original language. No drawing breath, no full stops, no capital letters and double spacing if you haven't quite caught up with the fact that we're only supposed to do one space after a full stop now. This is just one big continual sentence. And, uh, and I love, so all these commentators have tried to tried to capture that with imagery to get us to help us to understand just how much this like bubbles forth is this exuberant praise sentence and uh, different uh, um, authors and commentators over the years have described it in different ways. One described it as, as a snowball that rolls down a hill and picks up pace and it picks up momentum as, as, as it grows and it gathers speed rushing down the hill. Someone else talked about it as being like, like the fittest horse that's just, just running and just doesn't run out of breath and just keeps, keeps galloping and pacing. Others have described this sentence almost like, like an eagle where it launches off a cliff and there's just the, you know, it just kind of gets the currents of the wind and it's just kind of this way and then that way. And one of my favourite ones is a, is a commentator that talked about this sentence. It's almost like, like, like Paul went over and opened the treasure chest of all our spiritual blessings, the, the, all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. He reaches in and he just gets his fingers up. And, and as these gems start falling back through his fingers into this treasure chest, he starts just naming them. We've been forgiven, we've been redeemed, he's been chosen. The, the Holy Spirit has been given out to us. Man, would it be so for us? that we so know how blessed we are in Christ, that this comes naturally and easy to our lips. Because it is always in our hearts. It is always in our minds. So when someone says, let's open with a time of prayer, just thanking God for what he's done in our lives, that we're that exuberant bubble spillover of authentic praise as we recognise the significance and the blessings that are ours in Christ. When someone asks us, what does it mean to you to be a Christian? Let me, don't get me started, but let me start anyway. And off we go. My heart for you today is that you would understand that you are blessed beyond measure, that you are blessed beyond compare in Christ. That the treasure of the kingdom of God is not the things that moths and rust consume and thieves break in and steal. They're not things that fade and diminish with the passage of time. The treasure of the kingdom of God are things that are unbroken, unstealable, unending, accessed now and into eternity, never to diminish, never to fade, always to animate our very hearts and our very lives. So we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And this blessing, Paul will go on to say, is the divine purpose, plan, and work of the triune God. This is not accidental. This is not an afterthought. But This is the very plan and purpose of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in agreement, in unity, working together that we might experience this place of fullness of being blessed. So I don't know if you heard that phrase, to the praise of His glory, uh, that comes out three times through the Bible reading, verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14. It rounds out, if you like, a little statement about the work of the Father, to the praise of His glory, the work of the Son, to the praise of His glory, the work of the Holy Spirit, to the praise of His glory, in verse 14. And what we see is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have planned and purposed from eternity past to be working towards the place where we experience every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
And so the Father, we read, is the one who has chosen us in him before the creation of the world and predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus, according with his pleasure and his will. We read of the Son from verse 7, that in the Son that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished upon us. And we read that the work of the Holy Spirit Uh, from verse 13, is to include us in Christ and becomes this deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, that we are filled with the very presence of God through his Holy Spirit. So in this, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are one, one in mind, one in purpose, one in work to bring us to this place where we can experience the fullness of every spiritual blessing in Christ. You know, I've got a, a wedding anniversary um, coming up. Oh, speaking of wedding anniversaries, significant wedding anniversary today, I believe 40, 40 years for the bakers. So can we just, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Thought bubble back. Um, uh, so I've got a wedding anniversary coming up and, and chances are if you've ever experienced this, you know, you'll write something lovely in a card and there'll be some nice words and, and it's received uh, as a blessing. Usually you do that the night before or the morning of. But I remember chatting to um, somebody who was preparing themselves for marriage and they'd been writing this this book that they were going to gift to their significant other for years before they even met them and started dating them. And then as they started dating them, they would write all these lovely things, these lovely memories and this lovely sense of this is what I really value and appreciate about you. As they got engaged, this is what I'm looking forward to about doing kind of life together uh, with you. And the kind of night before they got married, you know, someone through the kind of maid of honour was able to give this, this book uh, filled with all of this wonderful sentiment uh, to bless the other person. I think there's something wonderfully significant in the intentionality to bless. Um, that right back before things even kind of kicked off, there is this sense that Father, Son and Holy Spirit have committed themselves to this course of blessing. Did you pick that up, right? Since the creation of the world, that God has chosen and decided that this would be the way that things would unfold. Before sin entered creation, Christ was already committed on this path to being the redemptive Lamb of God who would lay down His life so that we might know life. And as the Spirit hovers over the waters in Genesis 1, the Spirit is already aware that part of His role at times will be to dwell in the hearts and the lives of those who have been brought to complete unity with the Father through Christ the Son. That blows my mind. And I hope it moves your heart that our blessing is not a mistake or it is not an accident. It's not some sort of theological doctrine only that we speak about in church, not some kind of philosophy or ethos that we call believers into. But the very plan and the purpose and the work of the triune God before the creation of the world has oriented itself towards our inclusion and our experience of every spiritual blessing that we now stand and sit in and enjoy and experience because of their work, not our worthiness. I haven't given myself a huge amount of time, but Certainly within this passage, for some of you, your minds will go to theological issues around God's sovereignty in people becoming saved and experiencing these spiritual blessings and and how we understand that with human responsibility and free will. So I'm going to very neatly sidestep that, partly because 
To do that justice means involving a whole bunch of, of cross-referencing uh, and looking at other verses uh, scattered throughout both New and Old Testaments and actually theologizing that together, which is not what this uh, sermon is meant to do and it's not what this series is meant to do. This is a series on Ephesians uh, and what it speaks uh, into our hearts. And I certainly think that, that for the Apostle Paul, he is not writing this thinking that it is going to I- involve a huge amount of scholarly debate or, or us trying to get our, our heads around uh, what it means that God would choose us and yet that we would choose him. But I do encourage you to engage with those issues. I think it's important to understand at a deep level what God has done and is doing in salvation history, in in our world, and going to that kind of deeper level of understanding and breaking down and exploring and trying to interpret the scriptures as best we can is a really important discipline. And I I think one that is is incredibly rewarding as well. But very succinctly, obviously this is one of those key passages that, that you would go to, that you would read in order to understand the idea of God's election or his choosing or his predestination of those to be saved and to be included in Christ. Uh, I will say that obviously there's, there's many ways of interpreting this particular passage in ways that are other to that or ways that include that in, in some way. And, and you can ease, easily see it. I'll just give you a couple of, uh, of examples. So, so verse four is this classic one. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So you could easily read that and interpret that that God chose us, the church, that before the creation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. So that in creating the world, he always predestined, chose, was planning for a covenant community who responded in faith to Christ Jesus and his plan and his purpose for them, his predetermination for them, if you like, would that they be a holy and blameless uh, community uh, in his sight by faith in Christ, but also that they would live holy and blameless in the world as his representatives. So that's just a little example just to try and go, hey, wrestle that one down. Uh, it's really good fun. Um, I enjoy How do you deal with God's kind of sovereign uh, choice? And how do you deal with uh, human uh, free will? How do you understand uh, God before eternity? Is is there a predetermination, a predestination that is set in place? Or is that God's foreknowledge and we don't understand how that works? So I'm going to give the the final word on this before I throw that into your small groups for this week. From Francis uh, Falks, um, who is writing specifically uh, a commentary on Ephesians chapter 1, or Ephesians. And he writes... Election involves a paradox that the New Testament does not seek to resolve and that our finite minds cannot fathom. Paul emphasises both the sovereign purposes of God and humanity's free will. However you understand God's work in salvation, what is abundantly clear, and particularly abundantly clear here, is that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And as I said, that this is no accident, that this is no afterthought, but the eternal plan of our loving Heavenly Father who has worked all things in Christ, confirming it through the Holy Spirit that we might stand now in this privileged position as his children. And this is something that has happened and has been accomplished in our lives. Maybe you find it hard to take hold of this or to believe it and default to that very natural and very human striving after not feeling secure in, not feeling like we measure up, receiving part of those blessings, but almost expecting that some of those other blessings are for some time in the future when Christ returns or he does a more significant work in our life. But Paul here makes it really clear that the Father has chosen us, however you understand that particular phrase, in eternity past. So that has been done. That is in the past. The Son has redeemed us in the historical past. 
in coming to earth, in dying on the cross, in raising to new life, the forgiveness, the redemption of us has now occurred at a time and place in human history that is now behind us. It has been done. It is won. It is accomplished. As we sang over communion, it is finished. And Paul offers up praise that the Holy Spirit has sealed us as individuals in our personal past. That there was a time in our lives where we made the decision to choose to put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour. And the Scriptures declares that at that moment you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, this deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So in eternity past, in the historical past, in our personal past, all things have been done that Paul might truly rejoice and the Ephesians and us might truly receive. Verse 3, that praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. My friends, do you know that? Do you understand that and what it means? Do you live from that place and allow it to shape who you are, how you see yourself, and how you see the world around us.